welcome to the Enhanced Living Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. I believe that we all have within us the power to be everything that we are meant to be and so much more. This show is a weekly dose of practical and spiritual principles, strategies, tips, and ideas to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Here's to becoming exactly who you were meant to become. I've been called a human Swiss army knife because I'm a TV host, inspirational speaker and coach, live event MC and DJ, certified yoga and Ayurveda teacher, functional fitness enthusiast, author, husband, and dad with a voracious appetite for knowledge. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful people from all walks of life, spiritual teachers and masters and experts in many different fields. I'll also share my own perspective that I've gained from over 20 years of diligent meditation and spiritual work so we can all experience enhanced living. Are you ready to evolve? Let's do this. Welcome back to Enhanced Living. Thank you so much for joining me today. I often think about how in life we have too many things or we accumulate a lot of stuff and we don't know exactly what to do with it. And I have an amazing friend of mine. We met back in, I want to say it was 2001. We were both working at a cafe and we bonded over our shared love for music and DJing and all things spiritual. We bonded over comedy. Eddie Izzard is probably our, our, our number one favorite comedian. And my friend Boris, Boris Cole, he's on the show today. He's somebody who has simplified his life to the point where he owns three bags worth of things. Those are his possessions down into three bags and he's able to move at will, which to me is is such a liberating thing. He's a, a student of metaphysics and spirituality. He has started the website, uh, not the website, but the Facebook page, Quantum Island, which is all about spirituality and positivity and evolution as a human being and as a human spirit. And he's also an upcoming screenwriter who, uh, after having read myself his his works, he is prolific and so amazing with words. Boris, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's so great to have you here, man. It's my pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me. So I want to open up real quick because to me, and I know that for you, this is this is something that's just kind of the way you live, but you've pared your life down to basically three bags worth of belongings so that you can move around however you want, whenever you want, with whatever whim hits you. Talk to me about that. How did you get to that place? And why, ultimately, did you make that decision? It was because after I'd spent some time in in Hawaii back in 2010, I came back to Montreal and I thought, I want to... I want to move to Hawaii, to Hawaii and I want to be ready as soon as I can possibly do that to grab my, uh, my things and, uh, and go. And so I decided to uh, get rid of everything so that I would have very, very little to, to think about when came the day to, to move to Hawaii. Since then, a lot of things have, have happened. I have not yet moved to Hawaii. I don't know if I will. It's not something that I really think about anymore. But uh, the fact that I, I kept only the, the the most essential things I needed that's followed me up until uh, today. And you said three bags, it's, it's closer to six or seven now. It's like maybe like four sports bags and two suitcases. So I'm, I'm a bit of a hoarder in that respect. I've, I have to get rid of one bag because I do tend to, um, to move a lot. I, I'm in a situation where I, I rent furnished sublets uh, throughout the year and usually I can find a place for like three months, six months at the most, which implies that I need to move like three or four times a year, which I've done every year for the past 10 years now. 
Okay, so that's remarkable. It really is. I mean, you've pared your life down to the absolute bare necessities. Most people have so much stuff that they like to move is just such a monumental task. And it's something that you could do in what, like a day or two? I could move in 20 minutes. That's amazing. Literally 20 minutes, I could grab everything and and be out the door. Wow. So talk to me about the, the feeling that that generates. I mean, that must be so liberating. It's liberating. When I talk to people and I realize that especially when it comes in, in Quebec, everybody has to move on July 1st. That's the law. And so every year I start hearing people talking about how they have to move and they have, they have the sofa and, and the oven and, and the fridge and the washer and the dryer and like, and like 10 years worth of stuff that they have accumulated in the basement, boxes they've never opened, they forgot what's in there. And to me, like, I, how do you live like that? And they look at me and they're like, you have nothing? How do you live like this? And we, we all look at each other and no one really understands how the other is able to, to do that. But to me, that's become my, uh, my lifestyle. I, I own what I need, clothes, my laptop, a couple of books that are dear to me. And that's about it. Anything else, it's there in every single apartment I rent. I, I don't need anything else, actually. It's, it was like that, that, that scene in, in Fight Club, where I think Ed Norton, you know, describes his living room and how he's identified by all of his IKEA possessions. And that was, I think, in the back of my mind, that started the whole thing. Like, he's right. You know, like you think, oh, I, I have, whatever happens, I have the sofa. I have that, that thing handled. I, I won't ever need to buy another sofa. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like a very interesting way to live life for me it's uh you you rent an apartment or you buy it you buy a condo and then you fill it with stuff and then you're stuck there and if you want to do anything else if you want to move far away it's it gets really complicated at that point that's a really amazing amazing outlook i mean a lot of people would say you know well but you don't have roots put down and and for you it's more it's more there, there are no roots necessary to be put down because wherever i am and wherever i go i have what i need you mentioned that some of your prized books are, are the things that you have as part of your possessions. Of course, I would be I would be crazy not to ask you which books these were. If someone who has pared down his life to having almost no possessions whatsoever, what books do you have with you that you keep? I have kept The First Conversation with God by Neil Walsh. I've kept Illusions by uh, Richard Bach, uh, The Adventures of the Reluctant Messiah. And I have kept Ken Follett, the, the Pillars of the Earth trilogy, for some reason. I'm a big, big fan. And these are great books to, uh, to reread. I have another book by Cryon, uh, a couple of books on, on cha- like channeled text, because whenever I go back to those, uh, to those texts, I, um, I get something different. Same with Conversation with God. I've read it three or four times. I could start again tomorrow and, and pick up something differently because I'm in a different frame of mind. I've understood more about who I am and, and a whole bunch of things. So uh, that's it. The, the rest, you know, yeah, I'll buy a book and I'll read it. I'll read it and I'll, I'll give it away. Or when I leave the apartment, I'll, I'll put a, bo- a box of books outside by the door. And like, you know, whoever picks it up, if, uh, uh, if they get something out of it, awesome. But to me, it's just, it's, it's, it's one more thing I don't want to be uh, carrying. I got five or six books and that's it. That's absolutely amazing. I, I think it's, it's so cool because so many people say that they live their life by the law of attraction. They live by intention. And you really do. You really embody this. Now, 
Talk to me now real quick, because you you came from this perspective. You've started Quantum Island, the group on Facebook that has, I believe you're you're reaching over 40,000 people weekly. Is that right? About 26,000 followers, but through uh, all the, the posts they share, I've realized because you can you, you can have insights on your the activity on your on your page, and I realized wow, uh, two other shares every week. It's like over forty thousand people who uh, get to read a quote or watch a video that I posted. That's amazing. So what what inspired you to start this? I think that was you. I think that was talking to you at some point way back then. Because we're, we're, were we talking about conversation with God or the secret or whatever? Mm-hmm. One of the things, and I started compiling quotes just for me. And then to remind myself to, to go over and, and reread as often as I could. And then I had so many quotes, I, I thought you know, I should organize those in a, in, a, in a folder. And then the folder became a page because I thought, hey, I could share that with everybody. And, but it was mostly for me because, you know, you, you, you teach best what you need to learn. So selfishly, I did that for me so that every day I would read those quotes that I would put out. And then, you know, you were probably the first person to click like and then my mom. So there was like the three of us having fun with it. And then it grew. And to that day, so there's 26,000 followers, not one single troll. I have not, because there are similar pages on Facebook. I've never had a bad comment or somebody trolling on my page like that has never attracted any bad vibe which is and to that day i'm trying to figure out because i i see the activity on on similar pages and some of the comments are are horrendous there are some pretty mean people on the internet to a figure and uh for some reason they've stayed clear of uh quantum island they they don't go there it's well i mean it's you don't see it it's your quantum island, yeah. you know. So it's it's, it's, it's an oasis of uh, of good vibe, and and if you go by the law of attraction, it does not attract people who don't vibe that that way. Which makes perfect sense. Now, I want to address something real quick because I'm a firm believer of this, and 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 you just said it. You hit it on the head. You said you teach what you need to learn most, right? And I, and I really, really do believe that. And I'd like to kind of have a, a little bit of a discussion on that because from from my perspective, obviously, I find that anytime someone's asking me for advice or I'm, I'm, I'm helping someone along and a principle comes up and I teach them about it or I help them along with it, I always find, oh, wow, yeah, I really needed to hear that today for myself too. Do you find that that's something that, that occurs in your life as well? I mean, obviously, you, you do believe that we teach what we need to learn most, but do you find that it comes to you in ways where someone's asking for help and then you kind of help them along and, and then you realize, oh, wow, yeah, that, that was meant to help me too? Every time. Every, <laughs> every, every time. Because, uh, yeah, the, the, those people, they, they'll have a question and, and somehow I realized in the back of my mind, you know, I had a... I had a similar question or I had a similar issue I was dealing with that, with my life uh, at the time. Or it's something that I never really thought about and there was an interesting point. I go, I should think of that more maybe. So a- everything that, because a lot of, I help a lot of people, you know, I have friends call me because, or they text now because everybody texts, you know, it's very rare that they call. But there are the friends who, who, who are aware of that side of me as, you know, spirit being spiritual and everything. And some friends aren't aware. And that's, there's a reason for that because they wouldn't get it and they're not interested, but some are, and they come to me for, for advice. And every time, every time I, uh, I help them and at the end I realize, well, that, that really helped myself as well. 
It's pretty amazing how that works. I'm sitting here and I've known you for close to 20 years at this point. I mean, we're actually coming up on 20 years mm. and which is nuts. I, I just, that's, I mean, what, how is, how is that even possible? But I know you from, you're, you're multifaceted. A lot of people, they come from a spiritual perspective and you think that they're just kind of like this, like she, she, woo, woo. They think all airy fairy when it's, it's really not that it's, it's really applicable to every aspect of your life. And it doesn't have to be this like out there head in the sky or head in the clouds kind of perspective. I mean, you also are DJ Boris Aloha. You have a residency in, in Montreal, you DJ weekly. Talk to me about well, how I, I, I DJ at Montreal. Well, you know, <laughs> yes, obviously. We, the, the to, events, be, to be fair, events. yes, yes. We're, so the the we're, virus we will not name has taken care of that for now. It's uh, it's put on hold, but it's good. Mm-hmm. It gave me time to do something else. So, but yeah. you do. You've been in this sphere for so long, and so you're you're basically coming from a super grounded spiritual holistic thing and then you're going to nightclubs and DJing where there's alcohol and partying and drugs and all that stuff. So how do you mitigate the two? Because I know a lot of people are going, well, how could you be spiritual and be a DJ at the same time? It's obvious to me. I want your perspective. Uh, well, first of all, I think music is is spiritual. I think it was Nietzsche who said without music, life would be a mistake. <laughs> Obviously, uh, it would be dreadful. So music is is a spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Then. There is nothing outside the spiritual world. So, yeah, music is part of spirituality. Making people dance and have a good time, that's spiritual to me. Making sure that they come into the club, they have a great time because the music is good, and they'll give me a nod. Maybe they won't. They'll come say thank you. Maybe they won't. Sometimes they will tip me. Sometimes they won't. But at the end, making people have a good time, that's what I came here to do, whether it's through my DJing or my writing. It's the same. Um, it's what you do through uh, your podcast. You help people. You, uh, be, you're there to be of service. Being a DJ is being of service. To me, now it's, it's true that uh, because the image of most DJs, you see them waving their hands in the air with a bottle of vodka. That's never been me. You will never see me do that. I go to the club. I DJ. I'm in my corner. The less people look at me, the better. I'm not a fan of the spotlight. I don't really like clubs or bars or people. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> crowds, crowds, to, uh, I shouldn't say people, but crowds. I love being part of something that makes people have a good time. And there's nothing wrong with the nightclub. No, I, I agree. nothing wrong with the alcohol. Why not? I, uh, I drank a lot when I was, when, when, when my first year of DJing, I drank a lot because everything was free. There was no limit. You know, and one morning I realized, okay, this is my last headache and my last hangover. And I think I've had half a beer in the past 18 months, maybe, or I don't know. But for those who enjoy to go out and have a drink and be with friends, I have no right to judge that. You know, that's their journey. I used to say I'll never meet anybody spiritually in a nightclub. And I could not have been more wrong because I've had amazingly deep conversation with the coach head girl, uh, because I, I saw that she was reading Course in Miracles. I'm like, really? Wow. <laughs> so let's, let's talk. That's or like uh, with a bouncer, because he has an outlook on life that's fascinating because all he does is look at people and needs to be able to size them up right away. How do you do that? And he's very intuitive people and with a deep spiritual side. So um, there are spiritual people everywhere. And I used to think if they wouldn't be in the night scene, they're not the majority, but they're there. Of course. Well, I mean, you're going to find you're going to find all kinds of people in every cross section of society, at least in in my opinion, in the way I see things. Now, 
there's two points I want to hit real quick because I don't know. I think it was somewhere around 96, 97. I can't remember what year exactly it was, but I read an article in the Montreal Gazette where scientists had actually, they were examining DNA and the, the double helix structure of DNA for anyone who's unaware. It kind of looks like a ladder, right? With rungs on the ladder, so to speak. And it twists around and it winds around and there's proteins on each rung. And when you unwind it, what they did was they actually scanned a piece of DNA and so you saw it like visually and they unwound it. And when, what they found was it looked like musical notes. And so what they did was they were like, well, why not just try to play the corresponding notes? If it was, let's say this was sheet music, let's play the notes. And they found it had a melody, a coherent melody. So when you look at your DNA, there's literal vibrational sound music encoded in our DNA. So when you say that music is spiritual and, you know, Nietzsche, life without music would be a mistake, I think life without music would not exist. Can we talk about that for half a second? I think you're, you're, you're dead on. The, you said the, the sound ohm is the mm -hmm. basis of everything, you know, and uh, I was raised in a family where yeah, I went to Catholic school and I, I read the Bible or parts of it and, you know, and the first thing you read is like, and first there was the word, the word, the sound, the, the vibration of sound is at the very basis of everything. So yeah, without sound, there's, there's no life, there's no universe, you know, everything is a big melody. That's when Dyer, you know, when he, when he cut the word into, he said universe, the one song. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. You know, That's so simple. Exactly. And uh, I, that was my reaction. I'm like, oh, that's so simple and so profound at the same time. It's the one melody in the universe. And we, all, we are all different songs, the, the same as in physical reality on Earth. There's, there's different genres of music and you don't, have, you don't have to like them all. I'm not, I'm not a fan of dubstep, but, <laughs> you know, doesn't mean it doesn't have, have its place. And I'm assuming in the universe, you know, like Earth would be a song and there would be many other songs throughout the universe composing one massive melody that our little brains are just not able to grasp. It's just, it's too big. It's too, we, we can glimpse, we can talk about it. We can have a conceptual idea of what it means. But I think until we, uh, until we die and we go back to the ether, we can't really know how it feels, what it's like out there in the big picture. We can hint at it, that's about it. We can have conversations about it. We can feel it, but feeling it is different as being able to put into words. There are things I know deep inside of me, but if you would ask me to explain them to you, I would never find the words. Maybe because while they are true to me, I don't know, they might, they might not be true to you, but it's, there are things we're just not meant to understand. We're just meant to feel those and run with them. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I, I definitely have those experiences myself. Now, you talk about how you were saying before in the nightclub scene, you know, you're not going to judge anybody, right? And so I agree with this. I mean, I, I think that we should be judgment free of each other. How can we judge someone until we've walked a mile in their shoes? There's the joke, you know, don't don't judge anyone until you've walked a mile in their shoes, because then at least you're wearing their shoes and you're a mile away. But the truth is, is that how can you really, you know, like as someone who used to have bad habits and you've conquered them to then look down on people with those same bad habits is, is, is crazy, right? 
you can't judge someone for something that you used to do yourself. And so I think it, it goes to the the teaching of Jesus, right? And I'm, I'm not exactly a huge proponent, but I do respect the avatar. I respect the teachings of, of an awakened master, right? Where it's, it's essentially this, judge not lest ye be judged or he without sin cast the first stone. So, I yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, yeah, yeah. but the point is, is like, don't throw stones in a glass house when you, you know, when, you know what I mean? Like, unless you're completely faultless, which nobody is, mind your own business and just wish everyone well. That's true. But I say that, yeah, you should never judge people. I still do it. But <laughs> the thing is, now I become very quickly aware of that. So there's a difference for, like between me 20 years ago, who would just judge somebody and then act on that judgment and thought, that I was right in my view and my definition of that person that I labeled such and such and such, and that was forever. And now I I see something in the, like something as as stupid as somebody walking into the the shop where I work, not wearing a mask, even though we all know you have to wear a mask indoors. And, And my first thought would be, who is this guy? And then I judge it right. I judge him right away. And then I catch myself and I slap myself on. Then I go, no, no, no. It's, it's you don't know. You know, you don't know. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he's, maybe he's in a bad mood. He could be a, an anti-masker. But who am I to judge? I can't. I can't. And that that's the thing that the spiritual journey is that you still keep on doing. I don't want to say mistake, but you know, you see our behaviors that aren't hundred percent enlightenment, but you catch them very quickly. And then you turn them around. I think that that's, that's what you're supposed to do. As soon as you catch yourself being the person you don't really want to be, you become aware of it and, and then you change your behavior right away. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. That's everything that I always talk about. It's about evolving and having that awareness and that presence of mind to be able to say, look, this is not a behavior that serves me. This is not a behavior that's, that's good. I've, I've now recognized that. I'm going to course correct and to me, meditation is is the cornerstone of that, which kind of leads me to to this question of of what's your routine like? This is you're someone who you've pared your life down to well, it was three bags and now it's closer to seven, but still that's insanely amazing. You know, you you live this life of trying to be as non-judgmental as possible. What's your daily routine? Are you are you exercising on a daily basis? Are you meditating? What role does that have to play in your evolution as a human being and as as a, a spiritual a spiritual being as well? Meditation has become a big part of my life lately, and that that's recent. I, I always meditated fifteen twenty minutes a day, not every day. I, I, I wasn't doing it every day, and. Most of that time, I'm aware now that I was meditating in order to reach a goal. Like there was something I was trying to get at. So I wasn't doing it just for the pleasure of, of doing it. I was trying to, I don't know, like course the universe into giving me something like, you know, like gather some brownie points. Look, look, I've been good. I've meditated. You know, can I get a cool manifestation or something, you know, but obviously it doesn't work like that. But I, and then, then the confinement started here in Montreal, February or March. And all of a sudden, I was without job, without nothing to do except write, because I always have my writing on the side. And I thought, oh, you know what? That's perfect timing to, to get deeper into meditation. And I was, 
I was reading uh, Dispenza's Becoming Supernatural because you said I should, and I'm <laughs> glad I did because <laughs> it was a great book. And I started uh, meditating early in the morning. Uh, so for the past, what, six months, seven months, I, I, I wake up around five, I meditate for an hour. If I have time, I will meditate another hour in the afternoon, and I meditate every night before bed from 10 to 11 because I have the time. Not everybody has that luxury, so I'm, I'm aware that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. And I've mostly been doing the, what Dispenza called the uh, divergent focus meditation or open focus meditation when you focus on the space around you. And I know it's a meditation that a lot of people have problem with because they don't know, should I visualize the space? How does that work? What is that space within the space that it talks about? I don't get it. And maybe because I'm a highly creative person, it was easier for me to just dive into this. I say easier. It took me a few weeks before I finally managed to really only focus on the space around me, being aware that there was space around me. And I, I'm bringing it up because it had some crazy effect. Like for a few weeks, I was doing it and it was great. Like I, could, I, w- I wasn't thinking about anything. It was just total blackness and full awareness of the space around me, the, in the near space and then further and further apart. And then something happened. I started having crazy spasms, shaking uncontrollably. Like there were like jolts of energy uh, emerging from the f- second and the first chakra. I, I couldn't tell. But like, I couldn't control those. And my body was shaking insanely. I, and I tried to control it. I said, no, just go with it. It felt like I was, a, I was a ragdoll. Somebody was holding by the thigh and was like shaking around. And I read upon it because that it's still ongoing, but it's not as, uh, as intense as it was. If I close my eyes, I'm into that meditation state, meditative state within not even a second. And right away, my body starts spinning and falling and contorting. And it's very, very interesting. And apparently it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of buildup energy in the first or second chakra that now that you're not focused on it, your body is allowed to redirect toward the higher mind. Uh, so you just need, to, it's called Kriya, I believe from what I've read. And it, it's, it's, it's completely natural. And a lot of people, not everybody gets it, I have it. It's happening to me. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm curious to see where, how long it's going to last and what will the effect be. So, and I guess it, uh, it made me realize, okay, I had a lot of, of energy built, like a buildup of energy that I was, wasn't properly used. That was, it was stored in the, in the second chakra and, and my body is rewiring itself to properly use that energy. It's really amazing because, you know, a lot of people listening might be sitting here going, wow, that sounds super scary and terrifying. You know, I'm meditating and all of a sudden I'm convulsing. But, you know, understanding it from a deeper perspective, it's it's not like that. So there's a couple points that I kind of want to talk about real quickly uh, that you touched on. One being that, you know, some people believe that, you know, the chakras that, that are energies, it's like out there. It's something that they can't really grasp. And science has proven. I mean, so we're, we're referencing right now the book Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's really amazingly brilliant at putting together the science and the spiritual and explaining what's going on. And science has now discovered that the energy centers that we know as 
the word chakra here, like, oh, that's who knows what those mean. But there's actual nerve bundles in the body that correspond with these chakras. And these nerve bundles control certain functions in the body. And so from that perspective, when you meditate and you allow your mind to basically exit the body, what happens is your body will energetically reset itself and it will help itself, right? And so allowing the energy to move up to the higher centers allows you to function from a higher perspective. So each energy center is responsible for for different things. And the lower down you go, the more base and earthly. And if you think of, of it as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? At the base of that pyramid is like food, shelter, clothing. Then you have like sex, creativity, so on and so forth. And then as you go further, further up that pyramid, you get to self-actualization, which is all we're trying to do. Uh, when you meditate, you're bringing that energy from the the physical to the spiritual is essentially what it is, right? So it's it's really, really, really fascinating stuff. And uh, you you mentioned Kriya, which is actually a, it's a Kriya yoga is something that both my wife, Sharice, for those of you, well, everyone knows who Sharice is at this point, but we both practice Kriya yoga. We, we became Kriyavans in the last, I want to say for me, it was like three, four years ago. And Sharice was just a few months before that. And the amount of profound experiences that we've had just practicing Kriya yoga, which is, you know, something that, you know, obviously we're not allowed to teach it because you have to be initiated into it and because there's a ritual behind it. And it's, but it's amazing the things that you get to experience. And so hearing you talk about this and how the meditation has affected you is, is really amazing. I want to know before I want to talk to you about obviously your screenwriting, because you did mention that as well. And I want to bring that up because you have some amazing screenplays, but I want to know, I want to know what physical and, and reality-based effects or benefits you've achieved or realized from the meditations that you're doing now. Because I know that for you, when you're in this and you feel the shaking, it's not a scary thing. It's just, okay, wow, energy's waking up. So just to clarify that for anybody listening, it's not like you're going to meditate and then all of a sudden you're having seizures and life is terrible. It's it's a release of energy that's actually a good thing. But I want to know, like on an awake and and practical way, when you go into life, what has the meditation done for you specifically in your life to help make things better and more, well, yeah, I guess just make things better. Well, first of all, I want to say that you've explained it so much better than I did. So I'm, I was I was listening to you explaining what what is happening to me or through me. I was like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> and I was getting so much better explanation than what I said, unless uh, unless it's scary to uh, to listen to. Uh, the, the 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 biggest takeaway these days is that we're living in a in a situation that our generation. We've never experienced anything like that. You know, like my grandparents in Europe, they went through two wars, you know, at least one, you know, the Second World War. But a lot of them were, you know, they were old enough to know the First War and the Second World War. And we, we've never had anything like this to deal with. And so, and then the, the virus hits and everything, everything comes to an abrupt end. Life, as we knew it, is put on hold. And the biggest takeaway for me now, uh, thanks to meditation, is that not one day I have felt anxious, worried, stressed, uh, stressed out about the situation. And I am fully aware that there are so many people who are uh, because they don't know what's going to happen. They lost their jobs. Um, they're afraid they're going to get sick. They're afraid a loved one is going to get sick. They don't know what's going to happen with the, the economy. And all this I, I, I can look at from a, from a removed perspective, knowing that 
no matter what happens, I have the, this deeply rooted feeling that everything's going to work out for me. Everything is going to work out for me. That's the biggest thing is that it's, it's peace of mind in front of a situation that's really hard, hard to handle for most people. It's huge for me, like these days, especially in a situation, my mom lives in Spain. I wish I could be close to her because, you know, it's not fun for her. Spain has been hit pretty hard by the virus and she doesn't have family in Spain. And I would love to be able to to be there and, and spend time with her. I can't. It's a stressful situation. It would be really easy, you know, to go to spiral down and, and blame the world for all that. But meditation is helping me realized that, okay, it is what it is, and there's, there's no use hitting my head against the wall right now. Uh, just have, have faith and, and keep on doing what excites me and stay on the path of joy and fun and love, uh, which sounds really corny, but at the end of the day, I'm happy. I think that's the biggest thing. If at the end of the day, I go, you know what? That was a good day. I didn't do anything today, but I'm really happy about it. Or, you know, I, I wrote for 12 hours and I'm really happy about it. It all comes down to, you know, if meditation gets you there. Great. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. I mean, I, I want to say almost all the time in life, most people, and, and I, I want to say most situations, because sometimes, you know, there's things that happen that you, you worry about that happen and you're like, oh, no. But most of the time we worry about stuff that's never going to happen. And then we come to the end of it and realize that the worst fears that we were thinking of never actually transpired. And then we go, wow, I, I just worried for nothing. Oh, what a relief. That's so that's so silly. I wish I hadn't worried. And I find that meditation, what it does is it just gets you to that point where you're like, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it because it's going to work out. And so you save yourself all that worrying. And we know, I mean, this is something that, you know, I've read about um, in Dr. Joe Dispenza's books, and I've listened to him speak about this. And neurochemically, when we worry, we're releasing hormones into the body that, you know, activate cortisol, and it activates the stress hormones, which is activating the stress response, which causes oxidative stress in the body, which causes you to age, it causes you to have disease, it causes you to have imbalance. And so if you can eliminate that and stay in that well-being place, your body responds neurochemically as well to send out the signals that actually help your body to heal, to be in wellness, to be in harmony and in balance. So yeah, meditation is one of those things where, and I talk about this on the show constantly, because I just think it's so important for everybody to meditate. If you meditate, you will re you will achieve that peace. You will help your body biologically, chemically, and just organically achieve balance and peace. I, I really think I've said this before because I've repeated it. It wasn't me that said it, but if we were to teach meditation in schools and make it mandatory, we would have world peace in one generation. And so not only would we have health, but we would have we would have peace, which was which is I mean, how do you how do you get better than that? That that's the ultimate goal. I think eventually that's that's where we're going. It's going to take a couple of generations, but I think we're we're getting there. But, but one more thing about meditation, it's also it it makes you or it made me comfortable with not knowing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen with my print writing career, my DJing career, with the world in general. But you, be, you, you, you get to the point where you're, you're comfortable not knowing. And when, when you don't know, you don't know, you don't have any expectations. And that's where things can happen. Beautiful things. Because 
you're not attached to anything. You, you, you don't, you're not planning. You're not trying to figure out how things are going to... You're not trying to enforce your will on the universe. You become a reset, like an empty vessel. And, and that's when the, the manifest, uh, manifestations uh, can happen. Yes, they happen through you instead of to you. And I, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a wonderful thing. Before we wrap up, I want to talk real, real briefly about your screenwriting career because you've been writing for a very long time and I've watched the evolution go from where it was to where it is. And I just want to know what's, what's lighting you up right now? What's got you most excited? What project are you, are you really jazzed about right now? I'm always excited about every, everything I write, especially now that I get to the point after like over 10 years, because uh, people may not uh, know that by hearing me, but I, I, uh, English is not my first language. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so it took a while because it was one thing to speak English. It's another thing to, to write it flawlessly. So, you know, I had to master written English, I had to master the, the proper formatting because I didn't study screenwriting. So, you know, but I, I was passionate, so I, I kept at it, I kept at it, I kept at it. And over the past three years, finally, I get to the point where I, I get the formatting down, I, I know how to write. I found my voice, which took a while. You know, I tried, I tried, I wrote a thriller, I wrote many different things. And then I, I realized, oh, you know what, comedy, comedy is where, I'm, is where I can say what I want to say, but with humor. Because I, it's, it's really hard for me to, 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 to write a screenplay and not, try to infuse with a lot of subtlety you know, my spiritual perspective of, on life, but I don't want to hammer it into people's brain. But I think through humor, you can say a lot of things that people don't think about at first when they hear it because they're busy laughing, but then they can take it home, you know, and it can journey into their mind. And then, you know, two days later, they, oh, you know what? That was actually a, a valid point. Uh, let's think about that. So there's that aspect of uh, writing comedies that have spiritual or uplifting messages about the YC life in general. What I'm trying to do is take every genre that is being done and turn it into a comedy. So I wrote a comedy about ghosts. I thought hey, there are many ghost movies, but let's make it fun. Let's take a spin. Uh, let's take a ghost who is a ghost but has no idea how to do all the things we that you ghost can usually do in movies, that person has no idea how to do that. Powerless ghost. That would be a funny story to tell. A comedy about vampires, but in my comedy, the vampires aren't the monsters. The humans are the monsters. So, <laughs> and then I, I just finished recently a sci-fi comedy, like some kind of mix of like uh, Independence Day and Galaxy Quest. So I'm taking the whole you know, alien invasion thing and turning into a, a comedy, and now I've started. Uh, it's it's a it's, it's a big project. It's a it's a time travel comedy. Oh wow! So that that's that's a whole uh, other headache because I realized to write a solid time travel movie in itself is a is a challenge because even the best time travel movie to me always left me thinking. There's always a scene where I go that doesn't really work. And yeah. don't blame it on the time paradox. You know, be a writer, figure it out. <laughs> I'm trying to write an airtight time travel story that's also a comedy. 
Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a monumental undertaking. And I, I believe you're going to succeed. I mean, Boris, you are one of the most talented and humble and amazing people I know. I'm so grateful to have had you on the show today. And obviously, it's always great to catch up with you. Uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're looking to catch up with Boris, uh, he's uh, DJ Boris Aloha, Aloha like Hawaii. Find his group on Facebook. It's called Quantum Island. It's it's really uplifting and inspiring. And I every day I'll see, you know, one to three different quotes on there that I'm just like, yes, yes. Oh, thank you for the reminder. So and I know because you on. click, you, you, you click, you like and you share. So oh, Adam liked this today. I'm like, I knew he would. <laughs> <laughs> like clockwork, I always will. So uh, that's it. Go go check out Quantum Island on Facebook. Uh, you will definitely be seeing one of his movies in production at some point. I can guarantee that because the cream always rises to the top. Boris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I had a great time talking to you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Thanks for listening.